Your story is waiting for you today. Your story has something new to say. But your story will only come out to play when you're alone. Alone. Alone in a room with invisible people. The following episode may contain swearing. Alone in a Room with Invisible People is brought to you by hollyswritingclasses.com. If you find value in what we do and you'd like to support the podcast, go to coffee.com, that's K-O hyphen F-I.com forward slash alone, or you can go to alonewithinvisiblepeople.com forward slash support us to find out more. Thank you. Hi, I'm Rebecca Gallardo, the host of Alone in a Room with Invisible People. I'm here today with author and teacher Holly Lyle, who is currently being hidden by her cat Sheldon. <laughs> and our topic today is perfectionism part two. This is perfectionism in revision. And before we get into today's topic, we're going to just go over what we do every week or what we, you know, every time. <laughs> uh, anyway. You guys know what we're doing. <laughs> Talking about our week this week. Holly, go ahead. Okay. I had an awesome week. Um, I got 76 pages of revision done on Dead Man's Party. I only have 70 pages wow. of revision left to go. Now, this is this is write-in revision. I have a process in which I do write-in first, and then I do type-in. And type-in is vastly different from write-in because I edit and revise and change and stuff as I'm typing in, too. So, you know, yeah. I've still a long way to go to have this done, but not that long. Um, and also, oh, 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 God, yes. Um, I, I finished the first draft of the Ohio novel this week. Yes. Um, I got, uh, I, I added this all up. Okay, 6,990 words written this week. Yeah. And yeah, that was on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. But I also finished the first draft. So on that's, Friday. Yes, on yeah. Friday, man. <laughs> so boy, that's like, that's the way to end a week because then you're just clear sailing for the entire weekend. You're not thinking about what you're writing the next week. It's yeah. just, <gasps> Now, how long are you taking off? Because I know you <clears throat> say two to four weeks. Yeah, um, I don't know. I want to get Dead Man's Party done, get the, the type in on that. So that's going to be my entire, since I'm just writing now until after we get this whole chaos, chaos. thing out of the way. Yeah, yeah, I'm just doing fiction. So next week is going to be, the whole week is going to be type in for Dead Man's Party. Uh, well, after I do that last 70 pages of write-in. Um, and I'll just go straight from, from write-in into type-in. There's no pause, no holding off in between there. Uh, and then after that, I don't know, because I woke up yesterday morning, which was Saturday for me, and <laughs> um, I, I woke up understanding what I needed to do as far as re-blocking the book, moving chapters around, putting it And this into, is the Ohio novel, this not... Is, yeah, this is the Ohio novel. This isn't Dead Man's Party. Um, I woke up with a revision in my head. And so I got my butt out of bed, took my shower, ran down the hall, got my, grabbed my notebook, and start, and wrote out the entire outline for the revision. So I wow. don't usually work that way, but if, <laughs> if your brain hands it to you, take it. Yeah. So, so really, it was a freaking awesome week for me. That's nice. That's really nice, especially considering the fact that you've got so much chaos and, and personal chaos as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we um, got to deal yeah. with that later today. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's I'm glad that the rest of the week was really, really positive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, my week, I just finished the I finished the SFRs twice. <laughs> but yeah, so I had to I did the SFRs and then I had to do them again. Um, not because I did them wrong, but because I needed to clarify some things. And then I started, um, lesson four. So for the, how to revise your novel, because I'm revising the Fulton Hills Paranormal Society book that I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to call it the house on Andrews Ave. Ooh. And I like yeah, that. yeah, me too. And, um, I'm, I've, I found a whole bunch of things just going through the SFRs. Um, one of the things that stuck in my mind was the lack of opening up the settings, which isn't isn't always bad. Like a lot of um, books that are about haunted houses, they can be set pretty much just in the haunted house itself. Um, and then you'll have a couple of scenes where it's maybe outside or maybe the person goes somewhere 
and it changes up the setting a bit just to refresh it. But I noticed that for me, there was an awful lot of this particular setting. And it's neat yeah. when you do the SFRs, like you find out, you know, you, you notice. Let them know the what an SFR is because. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> part of the um, how to revise your novel. It means sentence for revision. It's yeah. learning how to take packs, uh, which is the protagonist, antagonist in a, uh, well, conflict, twist, and setting um, that you take per scene and then you write it out. Yeah. And it, it helps you find things missing, like twists or, you know, like um, conflicts. So I did mine a little bit differently when I first did the cards. Because, again, I've done this before. I, I went through and I had these little colored, multicolored flags. And if it was missing conflict, I had a certain color to put on it. If it was weak conflict, I had a certain color to put on it. And, and the rest of the things for packs. So when I'm going through them, I can see automatically, okay, this one is missing a twist or this one is you know weak conflict that's a nice system yeah it just it it speeds things up a little bit and it clarifies and then you can see also if you spread them out how many different scenes are missing a conflict and you can find patterns within different plots and subplots and stuff like that which is what how to revise your novel is helping me to kind of learn anyway um but yeah, so the it was neat to see, and I think that part of this was Sid Field's uh, screenplay in my head. It was like he put such an emphasis on opening up the settings and the scenes and changing the different you know places that you're gonna be. That every time I had to write Tracy's house, Tracy's house, Tracy's house, I was like, <laughs> oh my freaking god! Okay. Yeah, but the Tracy's house is the house on Andrews Ave. But at the same time, it's like okay. But there's more to this story. Um, I also found a not plot. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> which, yeah, the not plot is just like a, a subplot that isn't a plot. And it's one of the more important things that I wanted to put in the book. So I got to I gotta end up figuring out how to make that not plot a subplot. <laughs> yeah, as, as soon as I read, I reread like the thing that, that told you what not plot was, I was like, oh, yep. This is a not plot. God damn it. <laughs> so anyway, that was my week. I got um, the sentence, uh, the SFRs done. I got the sentence for my book done. And I started the lesson for other parts, which is worksheets, figuring out the plots and not plots. Um, I just haven't finished that. I was going to do it yesterday, but I just, I was so burnt out over stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, again, going through some of that emotional uh, depression kind of thing, because um, my... I went to go see my husband's grandchild, which was very sweet. I loved being around her. I love being around kids, but when I'm not, you know, it's like as soon as I leave, then I then that depression hits. Mm-hmm. And then um, my niece by marriage also just had a baby. So it's just, and that was yesterday. And it, it just like sometimes <laughs> shit just <laughs> hits you, you know? Yeah. So I decided not to push on the book even though I, I had originally wanted to, I was just burnt out over things. So I took that day off. And hopefully I can start Monday and, and just be in a better place. But so today's topic is perfectionism in revision. And I know that perfectionism in first draft is something that um, everybody's going to face. But I think that a lot of uh, beginners are going to still be stuck there. Mm-hmm. Perfectionism in revision is something that you're going to, if you if you haven't finished something yet, if you haven't finished a story yet, this is something that you need to prepare yourself for. <laughs> right. Because this is the next step. Even if you think you've beaten <clears throat> perfectionism in first draft pretty well, this is the kind of stuff that's going to pop up next. Yeah. It's like an evolution of your writing. It's always always going to be there in some form. This is very true. Okay, so go ahead, Holly. All right. Um, first off, a little reminder from last week, especially if you missed last week's episode, you do not revise unfinished work ever. You don't make changes in unfinished work. You can, as you are writing, if you catch yourself making spellos or typos, you can fix those. Um, as you go in the next morning and you start rereading what you wrote the day before to get back into the voice, you can find make some little word changes in there as you're writing. 
if you have never finished anything, don't fix anything. The more things you have finished, the more you can make small changes, but you do not revise unfinished first draft ever. The, the way I end up doing that is I do a scene. Mm-hmm. And I can fix it. I can change it. I can do whatever the hell I want to while I'm writing the scene. Mm-hmm. And I can not. It's not really revising. It's just it's just reworking areas of the scene. Right. But then once I'm done with that scene, I print it out and it's done. So mm-hmm. like you can obviously you can fix things while you're working on something, but it is kind of like the next day that scene is done. Right. Yeah. You don't go back to that. No. No, exactly. Um, so, I mentioned your TC thing too. If you if you decide to change things, yeah, that's where I draft. am. Yeah, where where I am galloping along, and I realize, uh, and this actually happened uh, on the Ohio novel last Friday. I was galloping along. I realized that I needed something inserted at the beginning of the book that I was going to then pull in towards the end. So I did a little left square bracket TC hyphen. And then I wrote needs what it needed and then the little right bracket. And then that is easily searchable so that at the point where you're actually ready to do your revision, you just search for left square bracket TC hyphen. And all of that stuff will show up. Nothing else will show up, but you will see every single thing in there that you have like a world building question you ask for yourself, a character problem you discovered, a name that you didn't give somebody, which, oh my God, I am hell on yeah. wheels for, for, yeah. Yeah, for, for forgetting names, for changing names, for yeah. um, just removing a character wholesale <laughs> because I forgot him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then remembering yeah. way late, oh God, TC, yeah, I need to add this guy back in. Yeah, and I wish that we had brought this up uh, last week when we were talking about, you know, like perfectionism in first draft, because Mm -hmm. this is something that can really, really, really help you if you tend to get bogged down in research. Just say, TC, research for this scene, and Mm -hmm. if, and, or if you tend to, you know, get bogged down in going back and looking for names, going back and looking for, oh, does she have green eyes or blue eyes? (laughs) Just TC it. Because when you're doing your revisions, you can find your TC notes and then update it. This keeps you from having to constantly um, go back or research or, and and, and also this is a big thing. If you decide you want to kill off a character early, add a character early, put in a new perspective of, for a character, um, any, anything like that, if it changes the book, you don't have to go back and change it during first draft. You just... Holly says you just put in the TC part and then you write the rest of the novel as if the the fix has already happened. Right. You just pretend you got it right. Yeah. Um, and then you go back and you get it right when you actually do the revision. But yeah. the, the, this allows you to at least have the last part of the book done. And as I have been moving through Dead Man's Party on the revision... Um, it has gone from being the wrong world and the wrong time period and the wrong characters to I, I figured out the world was wrong at chapter 12. Uh, I figured out one of the characters was wrong at around chapter 14. And uh, it, with each of these, I just TC'd it. I said, okay, well, you know, this is the TC here is uh, the world is eight years earlier than I initially set it up and the devastation was much greater. Um, this went from being a things are kind of hard novel to being a post-apocalyptic novel, big difference, but the revision is going to be very easy because I figured out ways to adapt all of the stuff in the first chapter chapters, the first 12 chapters, I get to almost completely keep in spite of the fact that they're the wrong characters, the wrong time period, the wrong kind of area, um, because the conflict that was in them was the right conflict. Yeah, and if she had done the revise as you go, mm-hmm. then she would have just ended up deleting that and starting over the book like yeah. four times. Exactly. She would still be writing this damn book. Yeah. So, yeah, let's get into... Okay, go so ahead. let's go on to then uh, the symptoms of perfectionism in revision, and I'm including publishing in this too. For folks who want to indie publish, um, this is also a, an issue for you even after you've gotten your revision done. It's entirely possible to flail on the publishing, too. So um, if you have these symptoms, you are suffering from revision 
or publishing perfectionism. You do more than one or two revisions. And a revision is not going through and fixing your spelling. A revision is a big damn deal. It is looking at the book you wanted to write, seeing how that is different from the book you actually wrote, and then figuring how to turn the book you wrote into the book you want. And it's not just going through and ch checking for commas. That's editing. Yeah, this is, this is like finding thing. scenes where you, <clears throat> where you uh, told and not showed or scenes where characters uh, acted out of character or you know, plots that are not plots, that sort of thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This is fixing the big stuff that causes books not to sell. Because I got to tell you, if you have a few commas out of place and a few words misspelled, but you kicked ass on the story, editors are still going to want to buy it. They'll just fix yeah. your spelling and your crappy <laughs> typing. Um, it, but not being able to tell a story is the big deal. And revision is what fixes that. Okay, the second thing. More, okay, the first one is if you have done more than one or two revisions on the story. If you are um, refusing to hand the book off to readers because you have finished what you, th you think you have finished the revision, but you're not going to let anybody see it yet. Um, if you have failed to identify the essentials. Um, and okay, this is, this is a case, again, of... Thing, focusing on things like spelling and punctuation and forgetting about things like character arcs and conflict and making sure that there is a conflict in every single scene, no matter what. Making sure that something essential changes, an important twist in every single scene. Making sure that when you read it, you don't say, oh, that's really boring, but it has to be there. Because I am here to tell you now that if it's really boring, it needs to go. No matter how important what happens in it is, you have to figure out a different way to show that yeah. instead of telling it. Yeah. And, yeah. At the point where your brain shuts down because something is mind-numbingly boring, that's a place where the writer failed. Um, and that's a place where the writer failed to revise. Um, okay, that's, so that's failure to identify the essentials, what really matters and what needs to be changed. Doing multiple edits with the same or different editors. You hire an editor to read the book. The editor doesn't come back with what you're satisfied with. You send it to another editor. That editor doesn't come back with what you're satisfied with. You are not being told what you want to hear, so you keep sending it out to different crit groups or editors or whatever. The problem is not the editors. The problem is the story. Um, and let's see, freezing on submission or publishing. And this is tough. You, you have it. You, you're pretty sure you have it. You know that everybody who read it loved it, but you have the covers for it. You, you have sent it off to an editor at a commercial publishing house, or you have, you've done your covers. You've gotten all your ISBNs in and your, your stuff done. <laughs> and then you don't put it up because, well, you want to go through it one more time also perfectionism yeah yeah so these are these are big things and they are very very common um they are almost as common as a ton of unfinished hard drives hard drive zombies on your hard drive they are less common because it is a lot harder to finish something yeah i was going to say the only reason it's less common is because more people don't finish right right so but once you finish then this entire cascade of panic reactions hits. And believe me, I know, because along with the sending things off after I had revised them 150 times um, and not sending them off because they weren't perfect and refusing to let anybody read them because, well, you know, they wouldn't understand or if they did understand, they wouldn't like me or if they did still like me they wouldn't like the story or I would be crushed or I would be hurt or all of the zillion different things you tell yourself I've done all of these I yeah. did every single one of these things at different points with different work and this is just a part of the process that you have to learn to overcome nice yeah no I mean that's that's such a good point too because all of us have those fears all of us especially if it's the first one that we have finished and the first time that we have a story and your initial reaction um i finished that screenplay at 17 mm -hmm. had my 18th birthday and gave it to a quote 
friend who was um, really important to me at the time and I wanted to share the screenplay with. And um, he got upset over the title because the title was a song title that apparently, you know, that he originally said he hated that song and it was lame and blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, then he ended up using it for a fanfic and he was mad because uh, I... <laughs> Because I used the title of and, somebody um, else's song, not his of song. Of somebody, somebody else's, else's song. song. It was a working title and that he used for a fan fiction. Yeah, <laughs> and it was just a working title. So I handed it to him, and um, I was I was like, okay, well, I mean, it's a working title, so you know, I I it was the first thing that I had ever really truly finished that was original work. Yeah, and I was very very exciting, other than stories and fan fiction. <laughs> so he um. Yeah, he took it and he threw it on the floor and he said, okay, all right, thanks. Yeah, I'll read it later. And even just that, mm-hmm. and that this isn't, you know, because I've been through writer's groups with you. I've been through um, reading stories and, and, and stuff with Mark and you. and that, But this was the first original thing, and you guys hadn't even looked at the screen screenplay yet. I yeah. don't think you guys have ever even read it. I don't think and, I have. Yeah. And that reaction is probably why nobody has read it. I, I didn't even really think of that. But yeah, you got to be careful too about who you open up to because that can mess up your... He was an asshole. Your... I'm just saying. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So just be careful who you open up to. Be careful. Really think about before you share things, especially if this is your first stuff. Think about, is this person a writer? Is this person, you know, going to be on my best interests? Yeah, let me let me stop you right there because that's a big damn deal. Do not ever hand first draft to people who are exclusively readers, ever. First draft goes to other writers, to other writers who are at about your level, who are also getting their butts kicked on the same things that you're struggling with because you can hope that they will understand. You can hope that they will, knowing the kinds of reactions that they need to get on their work, give you those kinds of reactions. And anybody who is not that, don't go there. Don't don't give it to friends. Don't give it to family. Don't have your mom read it. Oh my God! Don't have your mom read it. <laughs> yeah, unless your mom is you know like Holly. But and yeah. and this is the thing too, though. He was also a writer. So, well, I mean. And, and yeah, air quotes he, around that. Yeah, he. Um, you got to be careful when you hand stuff off to other quote writers too. Make sure that they, um, again, have your best interest at heart. That that you know that they want you to succeed. That you know that that it isn't always just about them. About all of you know, pay all the attention to me. Tell me how great my writing is because that person is going to give you negative feedback to show how smart they are, how much better they are. And, and you just got to be super careful about who you share your work with, especially in the beginning. Yeah. Because this is, it was years before you showed anybody anything else. Um, yep. Yeah. So, and anything else original. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's completely unnecessary. And that was, that was somebody being destructive to make himself feel important. And, uh, that's, a very, very common reaction from people who don't actually want to do this from a living and don't understand that other writers are not your competition. Other writers are the people that your readers are going to read yeah. when they don't have you. Yeah. Because readers are going to read. Yeah. If they're <laughs> re- if they're writing the same genre or the same kind of like, if, you, if you're writing military action, they're writing, you know, like this military romance. I mean, it's it's... You might not have the same readers, but you might have some overlap mm-hmm. that you guys can share each other's work. This is how you build a community of writers, not how you, you know, there's there's a lot of people out there that tear down other writers and are successful. So other people mm-hmm. learn to do the same thing. Right. But that's, that's it's not how this industry works or should work. Right. <laughs> and it's counterproductive because... That's that's amazing. I just I'm watching her cat climb her studio. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's writers don't need 
to look at each other as the competition. It is, there is no way in the world that you can write enough stories to keep one fervent reader going. You just yeah. can't do You can't be fast enough to keep up with readers because you can write a book in a month or two or three or four. They if can read fast. a book in a day. Yeah. Yeah. And then they yeah. need more books and you can't I, be all of their books. No, I went through all of Darcy's Co- Darcy Coates books in a couple of months and that's, you know, being busy, very busy, maybe a month or two, you know, and that's being very busy and still just, just going through all of our stuff. And I'm just waiting for her to put out more. It's like, Oh, come on, hurry up. But I still have to find other writers, other books. And even though I am her fan, I'm still going through other people's books. So you're not co-workers, but you're all like, what is a good word? Allies. Yeah, allies. Allies is a great word. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're allies. You can help each other find the readers who love what you both do. Yeah. So anyway, okay, back to revision. Um, So those are the causes of revision and publishing perfectionism. Oh, no, those are are the symptoms. Symptoms, Okay, the causes are fear of humiliation, criticism, lack of approval, failure, and success. Because both failure and success can freeze you up. And we did a little bit of talking about that last week, and we may get back into that this week. Um, Do you have anything you want to say about... Well, I mean, we we really pretty much covered that point already. Well, yeah, there's, I mean, the f- fear of success, people don't really get that, I think. You know, mm-hmm. there's, but you see it in a lot of the self-sabotage that might happen as well. Um, if it, I think we could cover each, each part just a little bit. Um, the first one, what was it? Fear of humiliation? Um, or... Yeah, humiliation. So, that... I mean, we did talk about that last week, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's, I mean, once you actually have your book done and out there, then you, then you get the reviewers. Yeah. And there are always going to be some who live to rip people apart. Yep. And it doesn't matter how good you are. They are going to rip you apart. This is going to happen. 100% guaranteed, if you have enough readers to sell some books, some of them are going to be the assholes who live to tear things down because they are not people who create. They are just destructors. Yeah. Um, you can't do anything about this, so you just ignore them. And you, you know, I, from time to time, I will read my negatives just because every once in a while you'll find out, well, I only mark this a one because I found some typos in it. You want to kind of hit your head on the table, you know, over those. But oh, does... I love the ones that mark it a one because they, they got the book and it was damaged. Oh, God. Holy or crap. They ordered it and it had a different cover. It's like, dude, that's Amazon. That's not the fucking writer. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The writer has nothing to do with that. Exactly. What do you think that you can fix by marking a book one star because the cover was dented when you got it? Yeah, or or they read the the free preview and they didn't like um, something that the writer had said, and so they gave it a one star and they hadn't even read the book. Oh yeah, that's yeah. So this that one is, happened to me. <laughs> yeah, this is going to happen. It yeah. happens to all of us. It happens to me. Um, it's just the way people are, and there are some of them that just. Not fit to kiss your butt or lick your shoes. So just remember that. And when you you get those one-star reviews, that's who that was. Okay? But I think the other thing about the fear of humiliation, though, too, is that your friends and family and people that you know might read your book. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a thing, too. And or especially if it's family, that they will be horrified by what you wrote. <laughs> And, uh, you know, waving hand over here again, my mother was just absolutely furious that my first novel was about witches because my mother was a vehement Christian. Um, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And it, you know, I I used some magic in it. And she said, well, that made them witches. And I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. You know, what am I going to do about that? This, I love fantasy. I have loved fantasy since I was 11 years old. So that's what I wanted to write. And that's what I wrote. And damn it, I got it and I sold it and she didn't like it and ever wow. after that yeah she was trying to get me to get a job working as uh, cleaning out horse stables 
or um, just anything else, just anything but writing. Why don't you go back to your art? Why don't you do what? Because you know this was uh, clearly my path to hell. Hey, I'm an atheist, so what are you gonna do? That that's amazing. See, I had never heard that that, that story before. Oh, that that <laughs> once she published, once you published the book, that was her reaction. It wasn't even way to go. Congratulations. Mm -mm. It was. Mm -mm. You you're, should. You're you going need to, to stop writing. Yeah. Wow. So also, you know, so then criticism, lack of approval. We covered all of those in that last little yeah. story. <laughs> yeah, pretty um, much. Yeah, failure, of course. You know, yeah. that you send it out and it doesn't do well. Or That's that you publish too. and that it just gets one stars or a bunch of people bitching about mm -hmm. stuff or nothing but negatives. Yeah. Yeah. Fear of failure is, is you know, can be crippling. Mm -hmm. it, so, and, th and the thing with that is if it is an indie published book, then you take that one down and you do another one and you put up the next one. You just, you just have that one be gone. Okay. So that the reviews aren't there anymore. The book isn't there anymore. It's just gone. Um, because you are learning and you will get better. And the more you write, the better you'll get. If you revise everything you write. And if you focus on the essentials, which is telling a good story, creating rich, deep characters, writing meaningful conflicts, and surprising people with your view of the world, your unique perspective that only you on this planet can bring to fiction. Nobody else is like you, so nobody else can write your books. So those are the books you want to write. Yeah. Okay, then let's see. Uncertainty about what matters about the book uh, is another cause of revision, publication, perfectionism. And this is where... This is where college really hurts a lot of writers. Because writers who go to college to write never learn the essentials, which are protagonist, antagonist, conflict, setting, twist. They learn... Um, well, subtext, which is important, but it's not core. They learn beautiful writing, you know, use a lot of big words, use long sentences, be elegant. And elegant is very nice, but it's not essential. And they, they learn a lot of these don't plot because plot is common uh, attitudes that if you're writing a plotless story, you're going to be boring. <laughs> Um, so there is a lot, and I, and I know there are some colleges that have real writers who write for a living who are also teaching. Yeah, and again, this is just a generalization. Yeah, this is a generalization. The majority of people who teach writing aren't writers. And yeah. if you are teaching something you don't know how to do yourself, uh, you're going to be introducing a lot of errors into people's processes. I think the study of literature and stuff, it's it's... You, you do have to look at, at who you're learning from. It's, is it somebody who appreciates literature and older books and are you only learning from older books? Or mm -hmm. is it somebody who is teaching? And, and it's also, what do you want from it? So if you want to write elegant, older style books that, you know, you don't care about sales, okay, that, that might be great. But if you're somebody who wants to sell mainstream, sell well, um, learn how to write a, a, a genre book and learn from somebody who has written before and, and kind of like how to sell stuff, college probably is not your best option because they're not looking at, you know, how to write the n newest paranormal books or, you, you know what I mean? It's, it's, right. You don't, you're not learning how to write something that is applicable now and selling now mm -hmm. and right. that readers want now and and again this is a generalization i know that yeah. there are some colleges that have writers who actually write some who are actually genre fiction writers and yeah you can safely learn from those people because they know what they're doing they're doing it they're doing yeah. it and and publishing it with real commercial publishers um you know i don't think college publication counts but uh I know some people do, uh, but no, real commercial, New York publishers or whatever, that's, that's all valid shit. And different people have different ways of going about things, and there is no one true way to do this, yeah. but there are a lot of ways to not do it. And the study of literature 
is the dissection of dead cats. The writing of novels is the creation of a live cat. And that's the difference. Hmm. Okay, so. (laughs) The next thing after that on my little list here is uncertainty about the quality of the book. Uh, the worthiness of the author of comparing yourself to other writers. Yeah. Um, and that's that's basic human nature, and it's really hard to escape. You are going to look at the, the book by your favorite writer or your favorite bunch of writers or your favorite bunch of dead writers. Um, good God, I was, I was driven by Tolkien, Twain, Poe, Shakespeare. I can, I can knock off Shakespearean uh, iambic pentameter in my sleep. Uh, I, I threw together some of that for uh, one of the uh, novels, Diplomacy of Wolves, maybe, or no, I think it was Vincalis the Agitator, where I had written part of a play that Vincalis the Agitator had written in Shakespearean iambic prose. And my editor said, did you, did you write that? I said, yeah, <laughs> I could do that in my sleep, man. That's because I read so much of it and I just imbued myself with that thing. But it's not useful in the real world. <laughs> I will just note now. Well, you just kind of proved yourself wrong there because you used it in in one of your books. Well, yeah, I did. I did, but it was kind of a throw-in. It wasn't, you can't write a book that way. And, you know, it was my first two sales. I I did parodies of two Shakespearean sonnets and and made them dirty and sold them to a science fiction magazine, and that was awesome. But um, you, you, you cannot compare yourself to the, those who came before, no matter how magnificent or wonderful they are, you have to find out what it is that's in you that is your unique thing. Yeah, that you is, have to find your voice. Yeah, and it's not just your voice of rage at what's wrong with the world. It's what you love that makes it right because it is that contrast between what you see that is good and wonderful and what you see that is bad and wrong. And you taking a stand on those two things that gives your fiction its power. And it can be about small things, or it can be it can be about love or life and death or war or the the fight between magic and science or um, what matters to you. And that's what you ask yourself is what matters to me and am I writing that? Because when you get to that, then you start to understand where your power as a creator lies. It's in what you love versus what you don't love and how you can bring more of what you love to the world, not more of how you can destroy what you hate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, I, I think that's incredibly powerful, yeah. Yeah, and that gives you the good stories to tell. It gives you characters you are going to love to write. It gives you stories about things that are meaningful to you and you won't, ever please everybody but you can find your readers and they will love what you do because they love the things you love and that's how you know they're your readers yeah yeah so don't don't compare yourself with even the your favorite not just dead authors but current authors too right right because you're you're unique you know you're different you're not them yeah you know there was this point where i wanted to be lawrence block because oh my god he's good you know, everything, and everything that I have read that he has written has been just breathtaking. His Matt Scudder stuff is wonderful. His Ernie Rodenbar is brilliant and hilarious. He was, he was just, just spot on. Now, I've never read any of his porn, which is where he started. Um, I did read some of his stuff that was kind of verging on the edge. It was this guy who was a, a for, kill, for hire killer. And I don't remember the name of the series because I didn't care much for it. But, but at the point where he hit his stride, oh my God, the man is a god. <laughs> he is amazing. But I can't be him. I have not lived his life. I, I don't come from where he comes from, either in my background or my upbringing or, um, or any of the stuff that matters to me as the core of, of my existence. You know, for me, it's family and, and my few friends and my my work, which, my God, I love my work. And that is something that I bring to my characters. They are people who love their work. And the lo- they love the people that are core to their existence. And yeah. 
Everything that comes at them comes at them at those points. And they have to overcome that because that is where I live. And you can only write where you live. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can write more than what you know as far as, you know, crazy worlds or different right. states. Or oh, God, yes. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. Yeah, because you, you know, have to write the things that are important to you. Yeah, there ain't no magic doors to other worlds in where I live, unfortunately. <laughs> or yeah. fortunately, considering what came through one last week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, with revision, then, you are looking at, did I put what I love into this story? And if it's there, then there's enough of it that you can save the story. And it's, there's enough of you in it that it will be worth saving the story. If you're just writing about stuff you hate, you, don't, you aren't bringing anything important to the conversation. And that's a hard thing, especially in the world now, to, to differentiate, to see. That, well, you know, I wrote this thing about these people that I can't stand and, and how they get their just comeuppances. Um, there's not going to be anything in there to make the reader care. Not the reader that you might want anyway. Right. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Some of these, some some people, I guess, make a living with that and mm -hmm. are happy with that. So, it, it, again, this is just a, a generalization in our opinions. But it's it just seems like it's a happier, happier, better life it to write about the things that you love. That's true. But if you are surrounding yourself with a community of people gathered together by hate, um, that does not have a happy ending. Right. Because that narrows down to smaller and smaller things that people hate and narrower and narrower places in which people can come together. And it ends up with, everybody, with, with piranhas and blood in the water, and they will eat their own. Yeah, see, I just, I don't know anything about, you know, that so I can't necessarily comment on surrounding yourself with people due to your anger, mm -hmm. due to something that you all have in common that you hate. But all I can say is that, you know, I wouldn't be reading your books. So yeah, <laughs> that's my right. opinion. Well, that's it. Just it wasn't that was more the community that I had before my current community where I didn't have the rules that I have set up in this one. And it developed a little click of piranhas. And uh, they started ripping people apart, and it kind of destroyed the community. And I dumped it, just walked away. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> gave the site to a friend and, and apologized when I did it. But, uh, you know, just handed off like 10,000 members. It was like, I'm out. What's, what's the next part? The next part of that is, okay, the cure. You learn to revise your work. And, again, revision is not editing. Revision is a one-time through step-by-step -step identification of what you love that needs to stay and what sucks that needs to be replaced by more of what you love. Editing is outside eyes, finding problems in a revised manuscript and revision and editing do not mix. You revise at, because when you revise, you are God of the book. You decide what stays, you decide what goes. When you hand off to an editor, the editor is not God of the book. The editor's job is to find the mistakes. That's, yeah. you know, and you find as many of those in revision while you can, but that's secondary. Primary in revision is finding what you love and making more of that. Okay, and then never hand off unrevised first draft <laughs> to anyone ever for any reason, and the temptation can be huge. Yeah. That I have the Ohio novel sitting on my desk right now. I am bouncing up and down with excitement because I love it so much. The temptation to put that in front of somebody else just so they can tell me how wonderful it is, <laughs> is beyond belief. So, and I mentioned this on my blog on Friday. I have to, to walk away from that novel for probably about a month. It might take me longer than that because I am just crazy about this one. I love it so much. And I have to be able to look at it objectively. I have to be able to be the person to identify, well, this is where I hit, and this is where I missed, and this is how I missed, and why. And that's 
hard. It's yeah. the, And the more you love a book when you finish it, the more you absolutely positively have to not give in to that urge to just let one person read it. Because I guarantee you, there are places in there where you screwed up bad. There are places in there where you suck. There are places in there where you did something breathtakingly stupid. <laughs> and if somebody reads that in first draft, their impression of the book is going to be fueled by that. Yeah. So you have to give yourself the room you need to be objective when you walk back in and look at it and read it through and say, oh, boy, I'm glad somebody didn't see that because that's dumb. <laughs> that's stupid. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. And you, then, you, yeah, go ahead. You, you No, I was just going to say, you find so many, once you give it that <laughs> cool down period, mm -hmm. even if you're like, oh my God, I love this thing so much. You give it the cool down period and you walk back in and you can still love it. You can still be excited, but you're going to find all of these things you did wrong. And there are just so many of them because especially, especially for me with the, um, how to write a novel the the new way of of writing that you know I adjusted to and changed everything to the like my old habits just for this one novel just to take the entire course to go through so I could learn some new stuff I got so many mistakes in there so many threads dropped so many um, like a couple of name changes, a couple of, of like, where did this even come from? And because he, I was writing it all so, you know, like going through, you were going writing fast. A, yeah, I was going, I was writing very fast. I was writing very excited. I was very happy. I was so into it. It was the first time that, that a Fulton Hills novel was really coming together for me. I'm also doing the culture in the world and the, the NoHo language. So all of this stuff hitting at once, I was feeling amazing about it. Mm -hmm. And I already know nobody's going to ever read my first draft. <laughs> but... I was just like, oh, man, people are going to love this. I can't wait. I can't wait. And then you go through it and you're like, oh, and head <laughs> head banging on the desk. Yes. It's, it's just like, don't. Yes. Total Homer moment when you go through it. So it doesn't matter how you feel. You don't want to share that first draft. Like, the, like I mentioned this before, I think. I had that first scene and I wrote that first scene of the book. It was originally just supposed to be the only time you see through this one character's eyes. It was a prologue, which I'm not going to include a prologue now. But it was it was just the idea of starting each and every book with, with a character through their perspective that you wouldn't see again. Mm -hmm. But it was the victim's perspective. Ah. And, and I read it to you, and I was thinking, man, this is so brilliant. This is so awesome. And then, you know, after the entire book is going through, I'm like, okay, well, this is kind of lame and cliche and <laughs> I'm also going to have to completely redo the scene and, and move it somewhere else. And it's just, you don't want to read that scene to somebody. Right. Right. And, and, and um, I've been doing this more, more than half my life now. And it still, it still is a huge temptation to just mm -hmm. print off the first draft and show it to Matt. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'll bet it is. It must be nice having a husband who will read your work. Yeah. Yeah. And the temptation is just enormous. And with withholding the, 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 the enthusiasm and, you know, shoving it down into a hole and stuffing a rag in its mouth until I have had a chance to calm down <laughs> is really difficult. And I guarantee when you finish something you love and you hit the end of it, you are going to be ready right then to print off a second copy and hand it off to somebody and say, read this. Don't. Yeah. Just don't. Give yourself that space. Because um, <laughs> you are. I guarantee you are going to have some wonderful things in it. Absolutely, positively. If you wrote it and loved what you were getting as you were doing it, there is going to be some great stuff in there. But there are going to be some clinkers in there too. There well, even the great stuff might be written poorly or might be oh, rushed yeah. or might be, because some of my favorite scenes in there, oh my God, does it need fixing. <laughs> I just, 
it it doesn't mean just because you love it and just because it's there and it's and it's, it's it doesn't mean it's perfect yeah oh and the, if something else i've noticed from my own work is that when i get on a roll when the scene is in my head and my fingers cannot move fast enough to get the words on the page i will get a good scene that will be god-awful hard to read because it's going to have typos it's mm-hmm. going to have missing words it's going to have little ellipses where i jump a thought where my my train just jumped this the track completely onto another track and, yep. and did a yeah did a, a a dorothy hamill landing on ice there man uh yeah. but yeah i have one scene where i don't even know where the hell i said it because i was writing and it was just so so important and and just i was so in the moment and I don't smell, so smells don't come <laughs> to me naturally. And, you know, I didn't describe the scene at all. So I'm like, where the fuck did this happen? Yeah. You know, like in my head, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, because when you get on that roll, the whole thing is unfolding in your head. And you have all of it. You can see the people. You can hear the sounds. You you can touch the whatever it is. You, you know what yeah. they're feeling. But that is not necessarily going to hit the page. And you're going to have to go back and rebuild before anybody sees that, what it was that you left out of there. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because if a reader read that right now, they'd be like, it's happening in a void. You know? Like, I know from when I wrote it where it's supposed to be. Oh, or God, Headless Horseman, (laughs) where I I will get into dialogue. And my fingers are just flying and people are talking back and forth. And when I get to the end of it and run on yeah. and I go back a month later and read it. And there's not a single attribution in there. There's no way of telling who Who's said what? what. There's yeah. no way of telling where they are. There's no way of telling what's going on because all I wrote, my mind fell into this tunnel and I flew. And I got, it's great dialogue. Mm-hmm. Just awesome dialogue. But it's floating but, heads. Yeah, it's floating heads, man. Oy. So what's what's the next part on there? <laughs> okay, so then after you never hand off unrevised first draft, and we got a little excited about that one, then you get yourself a crit group. And this is so, so important. This is, uh, <laughs> this will save your ass and give you strength to keep going while you have to learn how to fix what you're doing. A good crit group is people who are writing at about the same level you are. It's not you and 10 pros. It's not you and three pros. It's not you and two other friends who are at about your level and one pro. It's four or five people, maybe five people max, because it takes a lot of time to read other people's work and do good crits. Um, Where you sit down and you read each other's work. And you do a good crit because you will learn more from reading other writers who are at your level and seeing the mistakes they make and going, oh my God, I do that too, than you will make from trying to find the mistakes in your own or even from hearing the mistakes that they find about yours. The benefit of a crit group is not that people are going to give you their crits. It's that you are going to give them yours, that you are going to learn how to fix bad writing by reading bad writing, and you are going to contribute your share of the bad writing for them to learn how to figure out and fix. And everybody wants to think, well, I don't do bad writing. But, um, you know, like I said, more than half my life I've been doing this, and I still find myself doing bad writing. I know how to fix it now. And I fix yeah. it before it goes out, but it, it still hits the page in first draft. Yeah, and that's it, the other thing is it's not that you won't learn from other people. You yeah. you have to because the way you said it, it was like, oh, the benefit is that you're going to find the problems in theirs, and that is a big benefit. And yeah. reading other people's work, you learn more than than somebody telling you what's wrong with yours, mm-hmm. but you will still learn from other people oh, yes. because other people can see things more objectively. Other people can, they haven't right, reread the same scene 10 times if that's where you're at. So they'll, they'll be able to point things out. The thing is you have to be accepting of critique. Mm-hmm. You have to be accepting of constructive criticism. There is a difference. Go back and listen to our critiques versus destructive criticism yeah. episode, but 
if you are being given criticism that you don't want to hear, there is a reason behind that. And if you want to think that your writing is brilliant and perfect in first draft or whatever you're giving out, that that's a natural feeling. You, you want to write amazing, brilliant stuff, but you have to put that ego aside mm-hmm. and listen to the objectivity and the facts from other people. Learning how to take criticism is very, very difficult. And I was lucky <laughs> that I learned very early on. And yeah, at the age I've, of 12, I've told that story. I think. Yeah, yeah, I was like 12. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's like, okay, well, remember basically what Matt said. In, in your head, keep this in your head. Do you want them to tell you how brilliant you are or do you want to actually learn how to write? Yeah. So keep that in mind. If somebody, if, if you are running into people telling you the same thing over and over and over again about your work or works, there is a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so. Yeah. And, and that's, it is hard to take criticism. And the most valuable thing I, well, aside from getting to read the works of the writers that I was working with in my writers group, when I was getting started, um, and learning how to spot mistakes in fiction, the most valuable thing I learned was when to, to shut up and let people tell me what they heard or what they, what they read. Because yeah. that is really difficult and it's very easy to be defensive. And if you know that the people that you are working with are focused on writing good fiction and not just trying to build up their own egos so that what they are doing is giving you constructive criticism, telling you what you got right, telling you what you got wrong, telling you why it's wrong, and suggesting possible ways that you can fix it, that's constructive criticism. Destructive criticism is, oh, you suck and you shouldn't write. Yeah. Um, I don't like any of your characters. I don't like your story. I don't like blah, blah, blah. You you know, this is so cliche. None of that is helpful. So again, go back and listen to uh, criticism versus destructive criticism. So it's, it's a very important episode for people to hear. But it's learning to accept criticism, learning how to grow from it is a necessary part for any writer who wants to be a successful writer, whether success is defined by sales or just by moving people, whatever your success is. Right, right. However you define it. And learning how to take good, instructive, um, cooperative criticism is a major step towards learning how to do a good revision. Yeah, if you can accept in your head that you will never know everything, that there's always more to learn, and that learning is an amazing, fun thing, if, if, if you can get that in your mind, then it also helps on the way of learning to accept other people's critiques of your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a big and worthwhile deal. Um. Okay, so that's basically what I've got for us, except for the takeaway. Okay. Well, before we get to the takeaway, just remember you can follow us on the socials, and that is at A-I-A-R-W-I-P on Twitter. It is Alone with Invisible People on Instagram. It is Alone in a Room with Invisible People on Facebook. Just had to switch it up there and make it as difficult as possible, apparently. It is, (laughs) if you would like to check out the show notes for today's, um, today's episode... It is alonewithinvisiblepeople.com. And we are updating, well, I am I am going through, I am updating stuff, I am creating images. Um, I have a friend uh, who is helping me, Erica Blumenthal. I really appreciate her help with trying to get the word out. So we are creating new images for each episode. If you want to share those, we would highly appreciate that. Um, we are also, I'm also gonna, going to be going through each episode and putting more detailed show notes in. We have a friend of mine who is looking at doing transcriptions for us so that we can reach out more more, uh, further to the deaf community. I have several deaf friends who um, are creators and I, I realize like podcasts are an, an invaluable resource. Many of them don't have transcripts. So we are working on that as well. If you would like to help reach out to us, it's show at alonewithinvisiblepeople.com. Uh, my friend could probably use some help. I'm, I'm not sure I'll talk to her. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and of course, if you like Holly said, crit groups are important. If you want support, if you want somebody to help you find 
you know, what you're missing or why you can't sell this or why you can't sell that, come into the community at hollyswritingclasses.com. Join the forum, the Alone in a Room with Invisible People forum. It's free. Talk to us. Yeah, it's free. It's absolutely free. Um, You do have to put in your email so that, you know, we... It, it's that's the only thing that we ask for you also get your free flash fiction how to write flash fiction that doesn't suck course which by the way you ne- guys need to go through so that we can get to the halloween episode which is coming up um and then also we you get the summer of fiction writing which has a lot of neat stuff in it too and go in there talk to people tell them listen i'm i'm looking for you know i'm willing to do a critique for critique i'm looking for some help um, my stories aren't selling as well as I'd like, or I'm, I'm get constantly getting this feedback and I don't know how to, to, you know, fix my work. This is what Holly's writing classes is all about. It's about that community of writers trying to help writers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, I believe that's it. Again, um, updating the show notes. If, if you guys want to reach out to us about transcripts, that would be great. And in, if you are one of those people that is just busy and it just you, you don't get the automatic downloads or the reminders on your phone or app about the podcast, you can sign up for the newsletter at alonewithinvisiblepeople.com. There is a newsletter box. You just sign up and that's all we send you is just notifications of any podcast entries that come out. Or, you know, like um, when we quit Patreon, you would have gotten an email about that because it was an ethical problem. Uh, If there is a week that we are going to miss due to any sort of emergencies, you'll get a notification about that. That's it. No, No spam, no selling, no nothing. It's just about the podcast, period. You might get an email about the Halloween episode that we're going to be doing too. Guys, seriously, we are about to start taking submissions. So start going through the how to write flash fiction that doesn't suck course there is a hard limit of 500 words 501 will not work so really get in there so holly let's get to the takeaway for the perfectionism in revision okay it is this and this is this was something that i had to learn it was hard for me to learn it was so hard for me to learn Oh, God, it was hard for me to learn, but it's important. So, you know, don't think that you're going to get this on the first run through, but you are never as good as you will be next time. Get good enough that you and your trusted readers love what you're doing and mark that as your signal to put your work out there. Okay, so let me break this down for you into a couple of small pieces. First off, if you revise every single thing you finish, and if you finish every single thing you write, your work will improve in leaps and bounds. You will get better and better and better fast. It took me seven years, but I had to teach myself how to revise. But I went from a first novel that was god-awful atrocious to a second novel that sold the first time out to the first place I sent it within one month of, send, of sending it out. And I got my agent, my very first professional, honest-to-God, big New York agent, Russ Galen, from that book. Um, now, remember, though, Holly has not finished every single thing that she wrote. No, that's, I don't. You know, I, that's and, and every once in a while, I will, like I said, this is hard. This is hard. This is not an easy thing to do. And I have hard drive zombies all over my damn hard drive. Um, and some of them I love, and some of them I have to get back to because they're still gnawing on my brain. Some of them just died. They, they finally yeah. rotted down into the ground and are gone, and I, I never need to look at them again. But that, that is something that is important. So if you haven't even finished something, finish something first, yeah. get to the end, and then revise it. And really not just copy edit, not just edit, go in and revise it. And mm-hmm. that's how you learn. Okay, so that's the first part of that takeaway. The second part, get good enough that you and your trusted readers love what you're doing. Now, this is not the people who are buying your work. This is the people in your crit group who get excited every time you say, okay, I've got my next chapter, and they're looking forward to reading it. This is the couple of friends you have who read in the genre in which you're writing, not your family, you know, not, oh, God, not your family, but the people who actually read the stuff you write and who love that kind of stuff who are going, oh, this is so good. When you hit that, when you have those people and they are telling you that, then mark that as your signal to put your work out there. And if you want to go commercial, that's the time to start sending things to editors. Understand, 
that you will be rejected because 99.99, run that out a long way, percent of everything that goes out comes back rejected. It is hard to get a commercial acceptance. So after you have been rejected with a few things and you think they're good enough, indie publish those and keep working. Just keep working, just keep writing, just keep finishing and revising and putting things out there. And seriously, if you want to go commercial and you have a bunch of stuff that's up that's indie that's already starting to sell, that can only help commercial sales. Yeah. Okay. And just just to make a note, sometimes there are exceptions. Like Holly says, not your family. Well, obviously, I only have my family as <laughs> as my you know trusted reader that reads the initial revision. This is before I send it out to the bug hunters, I believe. Right? I send it to you guys first. Yeah. 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 Matt um, and I both read it, and then you send it out to bug hunters. Yeah. Yes. But. Yeah. And both of them are yeah, <laughs> just just devastatingly honest. <laughs> so all of the stuff that I've sent in the past, if there were issues, anything like that they would come back with them. So when I sent them Leaving Wanda Lucia and they both loved them and I got that that content edit from Matt, I was I I knew I had finally gotten to the point where I could could get the bigger things out there. Mm-hmm. So if you have a trusted person who will tell you when something you're writing is shit or something you're writing is, you know, maybe they won't say it like that because well, yeah. they, they you guys have never said, "Oh, this is shit." But if they will be completely and utterly honest with you and blunt, they will tell you the good things and the bad things. And those are the ones that tell you, wow, this is a good story. You know that you have earned that that moment of elation and you know that maybe you're ready to take it to the next step and publish it. Yeah. And you can do this. It's hard work. Yeah, honest to God, it is such hard work. But it is so worth it, and it's so fun, and God, it's the best (laughs) job ever. (laughs) Yeah, definitely, definitely. So thank you guys very much for listening. We hope that both of these episodes together have been helpful. If you, for some reason, listened to this one but did not listen to Perfectionism in First Draft, go back, read that, or listen to that. (laughs) And um, that's it for me for this week. We love you guys. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have an awesome, awesome writing week. Get some words, make yourself happy, write with love and write with joy.